What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, April 14th, 2015. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studios here in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Opening day is in the books yesterday. Fenway Park, we opened up baseball here in Boston, even though the Red Sox already played six games on the road to begin the season. Uh, and they, as we know, went 4-2 and two in those six. Now with a 5-2 and two record after a big win over the Washington Nationals yesterday in a game in which the Washington Nationals... Now, look, Daisy Buchanan's is closed. And that, if you don't know what that is, it, it's an old local bar that all the visiting teams' players would always go to when they're in town. Daisy Buchanan's closed a couple months ago. But it looked like they might have reopened a couple nights ago over the weekend. And if the Nationals came to town a little early, they went there. Because the defense the Washington Nationals played yesterday was pathetic at any level. I don't know that you'd see that. You don't see this type of defense with fly balls in the outfield uh, in the Little League World Series. I'm being dead serious. That was awful yesterday. And it began early with David Ortiz's liner to left field that drove in a run that went over the head of Jason Wirth. It scored Mookie Betts, and we'll talk about Mookie Betts in just a second, but that's a ball that Jason Wirth needs to catch. Then you get another ball in left center that drops in. Uh, I don't know what the center fielder was doing on that one. Then you get the one in right field where it looked like Bryce Hopper had it, and the center fielder came over. Nobody wanted it. You got a couple balls in the infield that they didn't seem to want to catch. The Nationals' defense was downright pathetic yesterday. But that wasn't the main story. I mean, opening day is always a great day here in Boston. And we need to acknowledge it a day after because the opening ceremonies, very emotional, as they always seem to be. And the Red Sox do a great job with these ceremonies, whether it's opening day, whether it's been championship ceremonies, whether they are bringing somebody into the ballpark who is of importance or it's a special night or they're acknowledging someone for their efforts in some special way. The Red Sox, they do a great job at this stuff. You cannot deny that. And yesterday was just another great job that they uh, set up the opening day ceremonies uh, that included the Richard family, also included uh, Pete Frady's signing a professional contract with the Red Sox. Then, you know, you had Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft. They walk out. They bring the trophies. Um, Tom Brady throws the opening, the first pitch uh, to, to begin, officially begin opening day. Um, when you're going to throw out the first pitch and you're a quarterback of a team that is now the reigning Super Bowl champ and is also going for now, Brady's going for a fifth. Would you wear a T-shirt that has a number five on it? Is that I loved it. I want to know where I can get that T-shirt because I'd like to wear it. And I'd also, I think, like to start wearing my sweatshirts wrapped around and tied around my waist. I don't know if that was would be accepted before Tom Brady did it, but Tom Brady did it. So let's can we? Did he start a trend? Did he start a fad? Are we gonna now? Is that acceptable if I go into Fenway with my sweatshirt? Tied around my waist? Can you say, hey, Tom Brady did it? Can I wear a t-shirt that has a big number five on it? Say, hey, Tom Brady wears it. I would like to know where he gets that t-shirt. 
And really what the purpose of that was is that some type of message that he's sending us, hey, I'm going for the fifth. I would love for that to be the case. I, I, I really don't know. Tom Brady comes out, hat backwards, sweatshirt tied around his waist, T-shirt with a big number five plastered on the front, and he threw one of the worst first pitches I've ever seen in my life. Um, he skips it in the dirt, and it bounced before the left-hand, left-handed batter's box. If there was a left-handed hitter at the plate, that ball would have bounced and then come up and hit him in the waist. That's how bad that, op- that, that first pitch was. So, but really, you want to talk about Brady's role in this whole opening day? After all that, or maybe even happened before, I don't know. It might have happened before. There's video of it. Pedro Martinez throwing Tom Brady batting practice at Fenway. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And I believe it's David Ortiz who's filming the whole thing. So, that that that's a cool moment as well. The Red Sox, they always do it right. Yesterday was a special opening day. Uh, the ceremonies were very emotional beforehand. And then you obviously had Tom Brady throwing out the first pitch. And it wasn't a great first pitch. But whatever, as long as Tom Brady is not throwing like that when the NFL season begins, as he tries to go for his fifth Lombardi trophy, I think we can all accept uh, what he did yesterday as David Ortiz had to scoop that one out of the dirt. Nice scoop by Big Poppy, huh? Big Poppy with the nice scoop. Underrated first baseman is David Ortiz. That David Ortiz. So, uh, you had then the, then the game began. And as I told you, the Nationals' defense was absolutely terrible. But Mookie Betts, at that point, stole the show. I mean, what didn't he do? Robbed Bryce Hopper of a home run in the first inning that was gonna that was destined to just make it in to the Red Sox bullpen. Now it just would have it just barely would have got over the wall, but it would have got over. And he made a nice leap and grab, makes that catch, and then gets on base, uh, steals second. And on the same play, looks up, heads up play, phenomenal base running, and decides, you know, ballsy move, but nobody's covering third. And I think he knew that as he took off for second. And he said, hey, if I'm going to be safe at second, I'm going right to third. And that's exactly what he did. Went right, slid, got up, goes right to third, dives into third safely, beats, uh, wins the race, beats out everybody. They reviewed it. The Nationals want this reviewed. You, it was, and, and I was surprised on the broadcast that Orsillo and Remy, and I think more so Remy, was saying that Mookie Betts was out. I didn't see that. I didn't see that in the replays. In fact, if anything, I think you could say it was inconclusive. They called him safe. You couldn't overturn that. But even outside of that, I just don't even think any, any replay there, did not one replay to me showed that he was out. Now, let me, right? ask, let me ask Pete, you this. Pete, you were there. Pete, yeah, I was you there. Were, uh, yeah, you had great seats. I had great seats. Great seats. But... Now, what, Tell us where you sat. During, we sat in the uh, State Street okay, Pavilion. Okay, yeah, nice. Now. That's where you sit uh, all the time. Go we, call, we call them the emperor seats. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this. In the telecast, did they say, did they mention if the coach has to announce which base they're asking well, to Well, there was confusion there okay. because nobody really knew what they were reviewing. And I did watch a little of the post game with Tim Wakefield, Tom Karen, and Jim Rice. And what Tom Karen was saying was and even Tim Wakefield was surprised in the post game. Tom Karen said that what he heard was that the Nationals reviewed you're supposed to only you can only review one play, but apparently the umpires looked at that second and third as one play since there was never really any break in the play. Like Mookie Betts didn't get on if Mookie Betts had gone on second and said time, you know, they give him time, 
that's the end of the play, technically. That never happened, so technically it wasn't the end of the play. They considered it all one play. Uh, so, that, so yeah, I thought it was kind of crazy. That it they was. were just like, oh, yeah, I think he's out somewhere. And yeah, then, you know what I mean? No, I know. He's out somewhere. Where, though? I, I don't, again, when I was watching, yeah. we didn't know, and Remy and Orsillo didn't really know either, so there was confusion, but when you watch, but they showed us both replays, and I'm sure your seats, you know, yeah. you got the fucking got TVs right, right in front of, front of you, so nice. it's not even, you know, you don't, I don't know why, you, you know, I'm even talking to you about this, because you already know, you saw the replays in the seats you were in. Yeah, we but, couldn't hear it, so I didn't know what they were. Nah, you didn't need to hear it. Yeah. I think it was pretty clear. He was I didn't safe see at where second. He was out. I no, I didn't. He I, wasn't out. Safe at second. Safe at third. Um, and you know, obviously, after that, we saw that he was driven in. Ortiz, the single to left, and then Mookie Betts in his second at bat after making the catch, Rob, on the home run, after stealing second and third and scoring the first run of the game and giving the Red Sox a one nothing lead. Mookie Betts hit a three run home run, and you know, this kid is showing us that. And I've said this since I've said this since opening day when they opened um, in Philly. There's a there's a swagger about Mookie Betts's game, and I'm I'm gonna be curious to see because here's what we're doing now. We're we're crowning Mookie Betts as this guy. Don't get me. I'm not trying to take anything away from what he did. Great talent, great athlete, exciting player. Um, has a good head for the game. It is. It has to be one of the more difficult things in the game to go from being a second baseman, right? He, Mookie Betts is a second baseman, making a play like that in center field at Fenway on opening day. That's not an easy thing to do. So it, it's pretty clear that Mookie Betts is not afraid of stepping up in the big moment, especially when he's not even really playing his position. So they've moved him to center field. The kid has really emerged, and I don't want to say out of nowhere, but when you go back to last season and what he was doing in Double A Portland, you know, the stories of here comes Mookie, they gained so much momentum, to me, almost out of nowhere, where the momentum began to build and increase at such a, at such a quick, quick speed that I was almost saying to myself and telling people, well, wait a minute here. It's do- he's doing it in double A. Let's take a step back. Let's see him do it in the, you know, and here he is now um, in the leadoff spot in center field, the position that's not even his, and in, in, on opening day at Fenway having a game like this. It's clear Mookie Betts is not afraid of the, of the spotlight or the big moment. I will be curious, though, here in a 162-game season, Mookie Betts is showing all this swagger now. I'm going to be curious to see, and it's going to happen. Mookie Betts is going to slump. He's going to go through a stretch in which, he, you know, some pitches might figure him out, right? They're going to look at the scouting report. They're going to stay away from him. They're not going to keep giving him a fastball inside, right? They're going to go outside, see what he can do with it, and they're not going to let this guy on the base pads. Um, he's going to have that type of stretch offensively in which he is slumping and pitches might figure him out and it's going to take time for Mookie Betts to adjust at the major league level. When that happens, how is he going to make the adjustment and is the swagger going to continue? Because once upon a time, we had a kid in Jackie Bradley Jr. And the Jackie Bradley Jr.'s career is not over. But I will say this, when things went bad for Jackie Bradley Jr., there was a big-time hit in the kid's confidence. He did not have the same confidence level that he had shown when he was, a couple of years ago, tearing it up in spring training, right? 
Um, he just didn't have that same confidence level. When he, when Jackie Bradley Jr. earned the spot, similar to how Mookie Betts has earned a spot here as the leadoff guy and the center fielder of the Boston Red Sox, when the going got tough for Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, you know, the tough didn't necessarily get going. Right now, Mookie Betts, he has, he has this, there's something that just, sort of jumps off the screen to you with regards to his personality and his attitude and his persona, and you use the word swagger, he has that, right? He's got a lot of self-confidence in his game right now. I need to see if he can retain that self-confidence when the going gets tough. Let's see, because at some point, the going's going to get tough for the kid at some point. You think that major league pitches are going to, and maybe figure him out is the wrong phrase, but you get where I'm going with that. Major League pitchers are going to make adjustments in this league. It's a pitching league. And can Mookie Betts make the adjustments? And on top of that, can he continue to carry this swagger and this confidence about his game that to me jumps off the screen and makes him the player that he is? I'm going to be curious to see that. But for right now, Mookie Betts has that swagger. He has that confidence. And he is absolutely dominating out there. And... He stole the show yesterday on opening day. There's no question about it. There is absolutely no question about it. Now, there is somebody on this Red Sox team that is, I, I think, probably the best story on the Boston Red Sox right now. Pete, do you have a guess as to where I'm going to go with this? The best story on the Boston Red Sox right now. Do you have a guess? I have no idea. You have no idea. I have no idea where you're going well, with I can this. tell you this. He bats eighth for the Boston Red Sox. He is your shortstop, and he is Xander Bogarts, and he is hitting 433. Two for three yesterday, two runs scored, a ribby that he just sort of took the other way and dropped into right field, and that was not one of these balls that uh, fell in that wasn't supposed to fall in because of the Nationals' terrible defense. This was a ball that, that, that Xander Bogarts took the other way on purpose and dropped this ball in and drove in a run with bases loaded uh, against Zimmerman. And Xander Bogots right now is, I mean, there's no pressure on him, and he is taking full advantage of this. There is zero pressure on this kid, and he's taking full advantage. People had questions. I even think he's made some great plays in the field, a, a, a position that a lot of people continue to question. I can remember being on WEI last year late, and people would call in and tell me that he's not a shortstop, or they call in and tell me that he's not the kid at the plate that people want him to be right now. And I'm not telling you he's going to hit 433 all season. That would be ridiculous to even think that. But Xander Bogarts, he, it looks like he beefed up a little bit this offseason. I'm, necess- I'm not even asking him to hit home runs. I'll put him in the seats. But I'm telling you that. And, and you know what else? And, and people might think this is crazy, and I don't know how true this is. But... Last year, and even the year before when he was part of the World Series team, right, Xander Bogots used a sh- very short bat, it looked like. And I, I kind of had a problem with that. It just didn't look right on the kid. And I think he's using, I think he's using a longer bat right now. I think so. I mean, that's just what it looks like. Or maybe it's just the way he's swinging. I don't know. But this last year and the year before, it looked weird. I, I don't know what size he was using. Um, but it definitely looks different, and maybe it's the way he's swinging it that makes it look different, but right now, Xander Bogots is taking full advantage of having zero pressure on him, and th- really, maybe that was a goal of the Red Sox when they, when they stacked this lineup, right? 
when they when they added Ramirez, when they added Sandoval. Sandoval yesterday, two for four um, with the run scored. So Napoli made some nice plays at, at first base in the field. He gets another hit. Uh, he's He was one for five. He doesn't have a great average, but he got his second hit, right, of the year. He got his first hit against the Yankees the other night of the season. Um, Victorino went 0 for 4. People might be complaining. I, I don't know when people started hating Shane Victorino, but I'm, I'm not going to sit here and make this the Shane Victorino uh, hate hour because it's we're early in the season. And as much as I don't want to overreact and tell you that Xander Bogots is going to hit 433 all season, he won't. I will also say that Shane Victorino will not be hitting 100 all season long. He won't. He will start putting the bat on the ball. I can. I will guarantee you that. Um, this is a guy that is obviously returning from an injury. Um, we know he's the expectations here are that he probably is going to miss some more time this season as he usually does. But when he does play, you know, this is also keep in mind an older guy who's on the last year of a contract that might want, you know, to, to look a contract here in major league baseball. It, it, it's a big year. And I think that Shane Victorino, you just can't rule out. You just, I can't sit here and say that he's going to be a complete failure for this team all season and tell you that they got to trade him, this and that. I won't say it. I mean, it's one of those situations where I'm looking right now and tell you that the Red Sox have a whole lot of outfield depth. And I think instead of complaining and trying to get rid of guys, I think you should embrace it because here's what happens in a 162-game season. I mean, let's say Alan Craig gets a start at some point in a couple nights and he pulls a hammy, or he has some type of hand injury, all of a sudden you're down one outfielder. You know, and if you were to trade someone like a Victorino, or even a, let's say you traded Alan Craig, and then let's say Victorino got hurt, or Nava got hurt, right? You know, you're a little depleted, and, and all of a sudden it hits you that not only did you lose one guy because you traded him, you lose two because you traded someone that you could now use after somebody else gets injured. So, I'm going to pump the brakes on any type of move that this team makes right now. I am somebody that's always said this Red Sox team needs to go out and get a stud starting pitcher. I don't feel any I don't feel differently about that right now, but what I will tell you is as we get into the season now and as we now open things up here at Fenway um and we're you know a week into the over a week into the season uh 6 games in, I can tell you that I don't expect any type of major trades soon unless a team comes calling and says, hey, we lost an outfielder. We need an outfielder. We'd like to take Alan Craig off your hands. What is it going to take for us to get that guy? Then maybe you have that conversation. But I think if you're the Red Sox and you can be in a situation in which some of these guys, look, and I'm not saying that Alan Craig is going to be okay all season with coming off the bench, but... I also think that if he can understand the situation and if he doesn't, you know, become a distraction, then perhaps if you're the Red Sox, the best situation for you is to hold on to as many guys as possible until you get closer to the trade deadline. Because that's when you're going to be able to trade for the starting pitcher, whether you get somebody who's under contract, whether you get somebody who you can then re-sign, or whether you get somebody like a Johnny Cueto who you think is going to just be a rental, who a guy in a contract year uh, is 29 years old, that as the organizational philosophy goes here with the Boston Red Sox, you're not going to sign Johnny Cueto to a long-term deal. It's just not going to happen. So maybe that's a guy you can get on a rental, 
maybe you can get a rental cheaper than you could uh, a guy who was locked up long term. And, you know, we automatically assume that the Red Sox will have to trade Mookie Betts to get this starting pitcher at the top of the rotation, at the trade deadline. I don't know that that's the case. Because if I'm the Red Sox now, and if Mookie Betts continues to prove that he's a major league player and an everyday center fielder and leadoff guy, which at least right now he's proven he is, if you're the Red Sox, I think when you begin to talk to a team about a move, you say, well, no, 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 no. If we're going to make a move here at the deadline, you can look at our farm system. We have prospects. And I know everybody's hesitation to trade Blake Swihart, but Blake Swihart isn't at the major league level showing us what Mookie Betts is showing us. So, uh, to, to me, when I in the past had said I'd trade Mookie Betts, I'm trading, again, I'm trading prospects. But the more Mookie Betts plays, the more he looks like he's no longer a prospect. So, I don't think you have to trade any major league talent. And we're considering Mookie Betts major league talent right now. So if you're the Red Sox, all of a sudden, look, it's like a never-ending cycle with prospects, isn't it? If you had told me two years ago, right? If you had told me two years ago that the Red Sox would have traded Ronaldo, Ruby De La Rosa, and Alan Webster and what they would get in return is a left-handed reliever in Robbie Ross Jr. And a starter from the Diamondbacks, in a 28-year-old starter in the Diamondbacks in Wade Miley. I would, have tell, I would tell you, you're nuts. Not the way that we pump up the prospects that I just named. Not the name that we list them. Not when you go on the Sox website and scouting report and see how valuable these young pieces are and potentially could be to the professional organization and the majors. No way. They would trade. They would be able to package those three for much more than that. Well, it turns out they weren't able to do so. And I just feel like we always have these conversations with guys in the minor leagues or prospects coming up, and, and it's a never-ending cycle, right? If you trust in the way the Red Sox draft or, or the way they handle the farm system, I think you've got to trust that every single year we're going to be talking about a handful of players that have the potential to be major league studs. And if you have that potential, that doesn't tell me that I'm automatically keeping you and giving you a shot at the major league level in a couple of years. That's telling me that I'm going to consider moving you to a team that might agree with me that that prospect does have stud potential at the major league level. I have made, I have made it very clear. I will give up the prospect for the short thing. And even if that prospect goes to the major league level with their new club and becomes a stud... I'm okay with it because I can sleep well knowing that I added a guy that is proven at the major league level rather than hold on to someone that might never pan out to be good at all. I'm okay with that. I will make that move any day of the week, right? There's so many things you could look at and say in hindsight and this and hindsight that. This guy turned out to be this. That guy turned out to be nothing. We could do that with a lot of players. I will take the proven player. So, so as we get into this season, I think the more we roll into the season and the more certainly Mookie Betts produces at the major league level like he's producing, the less I think you talk about the major league talent like a Mookie Betts in regards to trade. Now, Alan Craig is a major league player, but it's a different situation because you're now talking about a major league player who you are not using in your everyday lineup that is a guy 
who could absolutely immediately be placed in another team's everyday lineup. So that's a different situation in which you would entertain a trade for someone like that. And if you want to talk about trade value, people have talked about Victorino. I think you have way more trade value for an Alan Craig. And with Rusne Castillo sort of waiting in the wings, I, I think that you have to seriously consider trading Craig. I don't know that you're making calls. But I think that if somebody calls, certainly you listen and you entertain that. Now, of course, if Alan Craig becomes a distraction and says, hey, this, this is bullshit. I need to be in this lineup more. I'm an everyday player, and I don't give a damn about this team. Then that's when you probably have to make a move. Uh, but I think you try to hold on to these guys as long as you can because you never know when someone's going to go down with an injury, and you never know because the last thing you want to do, if nobody's being a distraction— Right now, you know, in April, May, June, the last thing you want to do is trade away an outfielder and then have someone get hurt. And then be in a position where you're saying to yourself, okay, at the trade deadline, not only do we need to trade for a starting pitcher, we also need to make a move for another outfielder. You don't want to be in that spot. And am I, am I not giving Brock Holt recognition or credit right now? Um, no, I'm giving him recognition and credit. But Brock Holt is a guy that can play every position. So you just can't look at Brock Holt on this Red Sox team as being an outfielder. This is a guy that can play everything. He might even be able to catch, for all we know. Look, if you put Brock Holt behind the plate, I think I, I don't know that this team would I don't know that this team would falter for a game. I think that that's how that's how good this kid is in moving around. But seriously, Brock Holt is is someone that, you know, if if Sandoval needs a day off, um, if anybody, really, in that infield what needs a, a day off. What a guy to have on the bench, too, man. And and if I'm, look, awesome. if I'm guy. Brock Holt, I, I don't want to be in this situation. I, pro- I, was, I had proven myself last year. I came in. I was the leadoff hitter for this Red Sox team, and I was the only guy that showed up every day with his work boots on and his hard hat on with the toolbox in hand ready to go in the leadoff spot. I was the only guy, and I was willing to play any position, and I produced the only guy to show up to work last year. And if I'm him, I'm saying to myself, you got to move me. I need to be in an everyday lineup somewhere, and I think he should be. He could be. But... Credit to him for not saying that, and look at what he did for this team last year. That just shows you how good this Red Sox lineup is right now. There's no room for Brock Holt, but but you shouldn't look at that and say, well, now we need to make trades, right? Move him up the depth chart. Well, no. If he's not going to complain about it, that's a good thing. You embrace that. Embrace it. Don't just start getting rid of guys. But with regards to the Red Sox needing pitching, Look, I still think they need to go out and get that starting pitcher at some point, but I think that type of trade will now be delayed. Since it didn't happen before the season, I think you I think you wait till the trade deadline, right? I think it becomes a situation in which it might be just a rental, a Johnny Cueto, or who knows? Who knows what type of guy it is? Maybe, maybe it is someone who's under contract for a couple of years, and you package an Alan Craig with a couple top prospects, right? Maybe. But I think that type of move, I think it's, it's, it's down the road. Because if we're seeing anything right now, it's that this lineup is so good that you can, that, you know, Rick Porcello can let up two home runs yesterday, uh, let up four runs, three earned, and it's really still not even close. It's not a ball game. You know, you can, you can give him a couple, couple meatballs and let, let the Nationals hit him out of the puck, but it doesn't matter. The game's over because the offense is putting up runs. 
Now, obviously, the Red Sox offense got some help with the Nationals' brutal defense yesterday. But, look, if you're the Red Sox, you don't need to make any major moves right now, um, especially if nobody in that outfield depth is complaining about playing time. Embrace it. Rick Porcello, eight innings yesterday, four runs, uh, four hits, three of those runs earned, walked one, struck out six, allowed two home runs, and Tazawa comes in with three strikeouts, uh, also walked a guy, uh, but one inning for Tazawa. If Yuihara, who this, who is now back as the team's closer, if he goes down again, I'll tell you what, Tazawa's probably my guy. I'd like to see Tazawa. We've had this question who steps in for Yuihara. I think Tazawa would be my guy to step into that spot. Tazawa has that nasty split down and away that's awfully similar to what Yuihara throws. Uh, maybe not as devastating when Yuihara is at his best, but Tazawa, to me, is the guy that I feel most comfortable stepping into that spot. He's obviously great in that eighth-inning role when Yuihara is healthy. Uh, but if Yuihara somehow goes down again, I think Tazawa would be my guy, in my opinion, to step in to that spot. So the Red Sox with a big win over the Nationals yesterday, 9-4. to um, Tonight, the Red Sox go 6 o'clock start tonight. Strasburg versus Justin Masterson. I would put my money on the Nats tonight. Your defense can't get any worse. Strasburg, actually, the last game he pitched against the Mets, Strasburg had some terrible defense behind him in that game. So I think the Nationals are going to make it a point tonight to really step up their defensive game. Justin Masterson, when I look at this Red Sox rotation, he is the guy I would probably be picking to pitch last. You know, if I had to line him up and say, hey, let's go down the line and rank him. Masterson is my number five guy. Uh, he doesn't have the velocity that's overwhelming or overpowering to any stretch of the imagination. And, and I know he's got some good movement on that slider and that breaking pitch. But Masterson, to me, does not have dominating stuff. This could be a night in which Strasburg outduels Masterson. And I would put my money on the Nats tonight. That's just the way I see it. So, Pete, put your money on the Nats. Listen to me, would you? For once, listen to me. I gave you three games yesterday. Yeah, yeah you gave me three I winners. I gave you three winners. Who would I give you? I gave you the Cubs. The Mets. The, I gave you the Cubs. The yep. Cubs walked off last night. That was a close one. John Lester allowed six runs. His ERA is, I have it right in front of me. His ERA is 7.84 with an 0-1 record in two starts. They're saying Lester's got the yips. I don't, look, I don't know what the fuck the yips are. I don't. But here's what. Here's what we're seeing with John Lester, and we've seen it before. No movement on that cutter, right? When you when he doesn't have movement or or velocity on that cutter down and in, and he's leaving it flat up and over the plate, Lester's going to get racked. And one thing we also know he can't do is throw to first base on a pickoff attempt. And he tried it last night, and it goes into right field. Now, fortunately for Lester, his right fielder ended up getting it and gunning the guy down at third base. But, I mean, that was a pathetic throw to first. Lester is struggling right now. Uh, ultimately, I think he'll be okay, but the Cubs, it didn't look good for them, but they get a walk-off single in the 10th, and the Cubs win at Wrigley, and they're doing the outfield over. It looks like shit, right? They need it. When is that going to be done? Do we know when that's going to be done, the outfield seats in Wrigley? I was, Big Cat was tweeting yesterday, Big Cat from Boston. He says, you know, obviously he wants, uh, he thinks it's exciting to what they're putting out there, but at the same time, a night like last night would be a perfect uh, bleach night at Wrigley. So you feel for someone like that who's used to those seats, who's used to going out, and not only can they not sit out there right now, but when they watch the games on TV, they have to look at the mess 
that is out there in the outfield. Um, but the Cubs win, and if the playoffs began today, right? Want to play that game? <laughs> this is a good uh, good note for Cubs fans. If the playoffs began today, oh, the Cubs are in with a 4-2 record. Way too early I get to do that, so I say that in jest. But, I, Pete, I told you to pick the Cubs. They won. I told you to pick the Mets, right? That was a winner. That was a winner. And what was the other game? I think it was the A's. The A's. They smoked I, them. Who did they play? They played Houston. I forget. Houston. Houston. Yeah. You didn't. And so so you, you picked those three in a parlay, and then I you did. added a fourth yeah. without asking me. I know. Who did you take on the fourth? I took the Cardinals. Took the Cardinals. But that's one of your big teams. It is. But, I mean, that last night wasn't <laughs> doesn't end the season. I mean, there's certain matchups that I look. You got to look uh, at the pitching matchups. I did. Too. They had Wainwright going. Yeah. But, you know. I, I th- that was the one though. I, but was... I didn't. But but here's the bottom line. The bottom line. Is, hey, I was sitting pretty. I'm a big hit. Wainwright guy. In fact, yeah. I picked Wainwright to be my NL Cy Young. So maybe you did listen to me in that sense. But I didn't give you them yesterday. So, and I looked at every matchup. I I didn't give you them. Who who wait the Cardinals? They played. Who did they play? The Reds. Yesterday? The Reds. Yeah. Who the Reds? Who oh, the no, Reds? Wait, no, no, no. The Reds played the Cubs. The they, Reds played the Cubs. They played right. uh, the Brewers. I'm sorry. Cardinals played the Brewers yesterday. Okay. Well. I didn't give. Regardless, I didn't give you Cardinals, so I don't know why. I don't know why you're even thinking about picking them. You know, you're just pushing. No, for that I don't. Extra. No, I don't know. Now yeah. you sound like Eric the uh, skate no, shop. You're always guy. trying to trying yeah. to get that extra that extra push. Yeah, but you, you have to listen. Trying to, to hit me. big. No, you're not going to hit big unless you pick the teams. You know, that I that I tell you to. Pick. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Strasburg Masterson tonight at Fenway six ten. One more MLB note here before I get into some. The Bruins audio from yesterday and the NBA playoff race and uh, Rob Gronkowski wrestling promo that you have to hear to believe. Um, the Yankees defeated the Orioles last night 6-5. Six to, six to uh, Pineda got in a little trouble, but Steven Drew bailed him out with a pinch hit grand slam. He pit, They pinch hit him for Gardner, I believe. A pinch hit grand slam for Steven Drew put the Yankees up 6-4. Uh, then they allowed another run, but Andrew Miller comes in to close the door. Batantis got himself in some trouble in the eighth, right? Or, yeah, in the inning before. Gets him out of that. And uh, Andrew Miller comes in and was just downright dirty. Um, did did end up walking a guy, but Andrew Miller's a beast. You know how much I like him and wish he was still on the Red Sox. He's showing the Yankees some very good things right now. Yankees win, but Steven Drew, Andrew Miller, two former Red Sox getting the job done there. All right, so Stanley Cup playoffs begin tomorrow on Wednesday night. On tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to look back at my preseason NHL predictions. Um, we did that before we jumped on today, and we had a good chuckle out of those. Um, so I'll look, take a look back at those tomorrow, and I'll make new ones based on the current Stanley Cup playoff brackets but a team that's not in the playoffs, obviously locally, the Boston Bruins. Yesterday I gave my state of the Boston Bruins address. While everybody in this town, everyone and their mother seems to want to fire the coach and Claude Julien and fire the GM and Peter Shirelli, I have told you that I am not on board with that. That is not the case with me. I'm willing to give Shirelli a shot this offseason to fix some things because I think the way he handled the trade deadline was – a commitment to fixing things this offseason, and knowing that this was a Bruins team that at the trade deadline, even if they got into the playoffs, were not going to make a serious run at a cup. Knowing that, I was okay and actually happy with the way the GM and Peter Shirelli handled what the Bruins did. They didn't go out and blow things up. They didn't give up too much. 
and uh, to try and maybe force like some type of veteran forward into the lineup to try and help him win. That's not where the team was at defensively. They don't have the defensive personnel uh, to be able to, at least under Claude Julien defensive run system, to be able to win right now. So I think I'm willing to give Peter Shirelli one more shot this offseason to go out and get some defensive personnel, go out and get a top four defenseman, you know, get rid of Seidenberg and his four mil, uh, and, and maybe even move some other pieces like McQuaid, Botkowski. Give us, give us some better defensemen on this team, and I think that the offense will improve with that. I'm giving him another chance to do so, and with that said, I'm giving the coach another chance because, look, Claude Julien pointed out uh, over the weekend that this is the first time with this organization he hasn't made the playoffs. And given all the things that happened to this team during the season – the GM trading one of his best defensemen for draft picks. Uh, their best defenseman in Zidane Chara going down with a knee injury, missing 20 games, and then really never being the same after he came back. Dennis Seidenberg not being the same guy. And then obviously you look at a guy like David Krejci, who's one of their top offensive players, only plays 47 games in an 82-game season. All of those things combined you know, with guys underachieving, I don't look at this and necessarily put this on the coach. There were things that the coach should have probably done with lines or with ice time that, that we all can disagree with the coach on and be fired up about. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I want to see Claude behind the bench again. I'm willing to give them another shot to get into the tournament, to get into the playoffs, and hopefully get into the playoffs that have had a defense, a defense that you would hope the GM will, will try and stack up on this offseason. But yesterday, after I gave my State of the Bruins address on this podcast, GM Peter Shirelli and Coach Claude Julien, they spoke to the media, and they gave their own State of the Bruins address. And as Peter Shirelli says, and you'll hear the audio right here, uh, business as usual on Causeway Street. It's business as usual, and we've, we started conducting the exit interviews at 9 this morning. And we still got a bunch of them left. You've talked to some of them that we've talked to. Um, you know, as this is you know, the, the job uncertainty, the the questions surrounding us. It's it's part of the job, and and you have to deal with it and just move forward. But I it hasn't impacted my my interviews, my discussions, my meetings with Claude and. Business as usual. Yeah, business as usual. That's Peter Shirelli and him and Claude Julien basically said, hey. Until they hear that they're gone, they're going to conduct business as usual as they should. Now, what's interesting is usually, if I can recall correctly, I'm, I'm used to seeing one of the owners sitting next to them for this press conference. Uh, Charlie Jacobs not there. Charlie Jacobs was someone that came out and said that this season, you know, would be a failure. Uh, you know, now is he supposed to make those dramatic moves? I think that Charlie Jacobs, to me... If he goes out and he fires Shirelli and fires Julian, then, you know, I I think that they're making the wrong move. I think they're overreacting. Uh, I think that they have to look at this thing realistically and give them one more shot. Now, next year, if you're looking at a team that does, you know, add some pieces this offseason and they don't get into the playoffs or they're not in a race for the for the division with some of the talent they have, then, yeah, we get into the discussion of, all right, the team needs some changes. But, you know, I don't know that I want to make those dramatic changes right now because I still see this Bruins team as being a couple defensemen 
and and so a little bit more health next year away from being a contender in the division once again. Let's face it, you still got one of the best goalies in the league. And I'm I'm willing to roll into next season confident that this Bruins team can be back in a race. This might even be a situation where you need to just take the summer off here, uh, hit the reset button, show up next season uh, with the motivation of not just, you know, hey, we need to win in this town, but they're actually, you know, we're getting a second chance here. There actually are jobs on the line now this season. Uh, well, you might not have thought that this year. You might have thought the threat was there based on what Charlie Jacobs said, but how real was that threat? Uh, I hope that it wasn't a real threat because I hope that he keeps this thing intact to the point where he lets Shirelli give them one more chance and lets Claude Julien be the coach again next year. I ask this question to everybody that wants Claude and Peter Shirelli fired. I say if they're not fired, if they continue to keep to work for this organization, are you telling me that the Bruins can't win next season? Are you not going to watch? Are you? Are you? Do you think that there's nothing they can do this offseason to to put themselves in position to win the division next year? I think that's nuts. I think I've been called delusional for a lot of things with this Bruins team this season, but I think you're delusional if you think then they have no chance to win if they keep Shirelli as the GM and keep Claude as the coach. I hope they keep him. It looks like they're gonna. Um, two guys they're not keeping, and they announced yesterday: Greg Campbell and Danny Paye. Fourth-line guys, penalty-kill guys. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and spend time knocking them. I think that if you want to look at their time in Boston, I think maybe you should applaud it. You know, two guys that were major pieces to a Stanley Cup puzzle. Uh, two guys um, that obviously were part of a team that went to the finals. Now, Campbell got hurt, and obviously we know how he played through that after blocking that shot in, in that shift, and, and he's applauded for that. But... Uh, you know, just just going back to the year they won the Cup, I, I think you got to applaud these guys. These guys were part of a Stanley Cup winning team that I'm not sure many people thought in this town originally that that was a Stanley Cup team. They turned themselves into the, into that. And uh, who knows when you see that again? You know, I know everybody wants to see the Bruins win the Cup and go to the Cup Finals every year, but that's not realistic. That's not realistic. That's It's the toughest trophy to win in sports. And right now I look at the bracket in front of me. And I will make my Stanley Cup official prediction based on the 16 teams that are in. I will make that tomorrow. And the, the best part about the Stanley Cup brackets now is that they're set brackets, right? The way they changed it for last season, they're set brackets. So, for instance, the Canadiens play the Senators. Canadians, the one seed in the East. They play the Senators, who got the wild final wild card spot after that remarkable run late in the regular season. That really is the reason the Bruins are out, right? Um, well, obviously the Bruins uh, are no were no good anyways. But at the same time, I always thought the Bruins could back in to the playoffs because I looked at the teams beneath them and thought Florida, eh, they're not going to make a run. Ottawa, eh, they're not going to make a run. And I was wrong about Ottawa. They did make a run. They made uh, one of the one of the more dramatic, successful late-season runs you will ever see, I think, uh, in the playoffs. Now, can they go out and pull a L.A. Kings? You know, like the Kings did, not the last time they won a cup, but, but you know, when they won it um, the, the year after the Bruins? No, I don't think the Senators are going to do that, But because they play the Canadians in the first round. But the winner of that series plays the Lightning, the winner of the Lightning and the Red Wings. So it's set brackets. I will give my official Stanley Cup playoff predictions on tomorrow's podcast as the Stanley Cup playoffs begin tomorrow night. 
Um, just to look at a couple of games, you get Nashville, Chicago tomorrow night at 8.30. You get Vancouver, Calgary tomorrow night at 10. Um, that, that game's on the USA Network. Is it, That's new. On the USA Network? That means that Monday Night Raw and the Stanley Cup playoffs are on the same network. WWE and the Stanley Cup playoffs on the same network. I don't think I'm reading that wrong. I'm reading that on NHL.com. Now, I didn't know that was serious, but, yeah, look at that. USA Network. Uh, So you get those two games. You get Canadian Senators tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and then you get the Capitals and the Islanders at 7 o'clock as well. So exciting times when the playoff begins. The NBA playoffs, they have not begun yet, but as we know here locally, the big story, the Celtics have clinched the playoffs. Because the Chicago Bulls beat up on the Brooklyn Nets last night. Now the Celtics, who have clinched a playoff berth, the only question is, with two games left, the Celtics play the Raptors. They host the Toronto Raptors tonight. And then tomorrow night, they're in Milwaukee to close out the regular season. The only question with the Celtics is, who do they play in the first round? The one-seed Atlanta Hawks or the two-seed Cleveland Cavaliers? Uh, Pete, you have a team you would rather see the Celtics play in the first round. Well, I don't. I don't think they're going to get out of the first round, regardless. No. I'd like to see them match up against the Hawks. Though. Yeah, it's, and I think they got at least a better shot to make it, you know, competitive. But why, you know, why is that though? It's because LeBron isn't on the Hawks, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, let's break it down like that. I'm not going to sit here and give you, you know, LeBron loves to beat up on the Celtics. I'm not going to give you that. the Hawks credentials. I'm not even going to give you the Cleveland Cavaliers credentials. We know what the Cavs did in the off season. We know what they dealt with in the regular season. LeBron is the GM, the coach, and the go-to scorer. That's what he is on this team. Uh, If LeBron James was on the Hawks, I would be telling you that... Let's let's put it this way. If Cleveland's roster played in Atlanta and wore Hawks unis, and the Hawks roster uh, wore Cavs unis and played in Cleveland, I, I would tell you, you don't want to play the Hawks. So all that matters is really what team does LeBron play on. I don't want to play the team that LeBron plays on. I know some people have said, like, I think Bill Simmons tweeted, like, bring on LeBron. Come on. I I get what you're doing there. I get that you'd like to see the Celtics maybe put a scare into LeBron's. Um, you know, they, they'd like to basically take the Cavaliers and LeBron James on the edge of elimination. They'd like to, to scare him with that and threaten him with that. But let's be realistic. The Celtics are not going to beat a team. This Celtics team is not beating a LeBron James-led team in the first round of the playoffs. It's not going to happen. So they're not going to beat Cleveland. Do I think they're going to beat the Atlanta Hawks, a 60-win Atlanta Hawks team? Probably not, but I think they have a better shot. You know, the Atlanta Hawks don't have the best player in the world. So I I I will take my chances with the Celtics playing the Hawks. Now, the Hawks are going to finish the one seed. They've already clinched that. Does, you know, am I going to root for the Celtics to lose here in the next couple games? No, you never do that. And the Celtics are not going to lose to get a better first-round matchup. They're going to have a tough matchup in the first round regardless. But right now, the Celtics are in seventh. The Pacers are in eighth. You got Brooklyn still there, a half game behind the Pacers. And the Miami Heat, um, are they still – they're a game and a half. They're going to need a lot. They have, you know, what, two games left? I believe, or maybe even, no, they got one game left. So maybe they're out. So maybe it's just Indiana-Brooklyn for that eight spot. And really for the Celtics, you're looking at Indiana 
and saying the Celtics are a game ahead of the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers have two games left. The Celtics have two games left. We'll see uh, what happens with this. But to me, if if you're the Celtics, the better matchup is the Atlanta Hawks. Not to say that's a good matchup, but I, I'll break it down for you this way. Any team that doesn't have LeBron James, and I know, you know, I know Celtics fans, and look, I'm a Celtics fan too, but I know a lot of people, you know, who bleed green, they say, oh, bring on LeBron. We hate LeBron. Well, why do you hate LeBron? Because here's why I hate LeBron. Because I thought the Celtics were going to make a run. I, I, you know, one final championship run when it wasn't really expected, right? Uh, the last year, it, it wasn't really expected. And the Celtics took a 3-2 series, uh, 3-2 series lead. Game six back at the Garden. And then LeBron puts up 40 points. Forces a game seven. Heat win. You know, that's why we hate LeBron because he's so good. So, think about it realistically. Who would you rather face? A LeBron James-led team or an Atlanta Hawks team with 60 points? It's not a good matchup either way, but I tell you, I would much rather face the Atlanta Hawks than any team that LeBron James is on in the first round. But it is looking like it's going to be LeBron James and the Cavaliers in the first round. So, we'll keep an eye on that. And the Celtics, where they stand in the NBA playoff race. An exciting time of year, right? Playoffs, uh, Major League Baseball. Um, oh, and, and one other note, the golf, I told you the world golf rankings that Jordan Spieth with his Masters win, it's going to be him versus McElroy. It's McElroy Spieth, the two young guns going at each other every weekend. Well, Jordan Spieth bumps up from fourth in the world to number two in the world, right behind, guess who? Rory McElroy. So that's going to be, that also brings some excitement here into the summer as well. Uh, and then obviously we get the NFL draft. I'm not a huge NFL draft guy. I don't. I I don't do the mock drafts. And maybe that's because the the Patriots under Bill Belichick have always been an organization that would rather, instead of making that exciting pick for the exciting player, take that early pick and trade it for a couple more picks later in the draft. That's not a sexy thing uh, for an average NFL draft viewer who has uh, a local rooting interest for a certain club. That you don't you don't want to see that. So. I never really get too worked up for the NFL draft because, let's face it, the Patriots could draft nobody next season, right? They could trade all their picks for draft picks the next year. They could draft no one, and they will still be, um, you know, a team that's going to win the AFC East. You know, they have a tougher road this season because other teams in the division have improved, and the Patriots have obviously lost some key defensive pieces in Revis and Browner, but they still have Brady. They still have Belichick, and under those guys, I trust them to still win the division, even if they don't even make a draft pick. So I'm not a huge NFL draft guy, but it is one of those things that when it comes time, we will talk about. Um, But tomorrow, I will give my Stanley Cup playoff official predictions here as I get to hit the reset button and look at the set brackets. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs begin tomorrow night, and obviously when we get the NBA brackets, uh, finalized and the regular season ends, we'll get to that as well. We'll close out the show with this one bit. I I didn't watch all of Monday Night Raw last night. I saw the opening match with John Cena versus um, Wade Barrett, right? Which and it was in it was in England. I think right. It was in London, London, England last night. Monday Night Raw. Uh, so I didn't watch all of Raw, but you don't you don't need to watch Raw to know. 
what really the best promo of the day was. And the best promo of the day comes from Mojo Rawley, who is a WWE superstar, or at least someone who is up and coming, maybe. Yeah, he's in, right? he's in the NXT. He's in NXT. Yeah. Uh, and, and guess who else? Rob Gronkowski. I think they're buddies. I've seen them tweet back and forth. The first person talking here is Mojo Rawley, and the second person talking is Rob Gronkowski. We might even play it a couple times for you, but listen to this promo that Mojo Rawley and Gronk give. Yo, it's the main man, Mojo Riley, and I might have to get myself a new tag partner, baby. Ugh, it's the new generation show. It's the Grant and Mojo, and you're going to get Grant's fight full show because we don't get hyped. We stay hyped. Yeah. <laughs> you got to play. Can we, can we hear that again? Because Gronk comes in at the end. Gronk's the second. If you hear the two different voices, Gronk is the second guy that comes in here. Play, let's play this one more time. Yo, it's the main man, Mojo Riley, and I might have to get myself a new tag partner, baby. Ugh, it's the new generation show. It's the Gronk and Mojo, and you're going to get Gronk's fight full show. Because we don't get hyped, we stay hyped! <laughs> <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Gronk's got a future in the WWE. That's, uh, honestly, that's a, that's a special talent to give a promo like that. You know how many guys in the WWE wish, Roman Reigns wishes, Roman Reigns in the main event at WrestleMania wishes he could give a promo like Rob Gronkowski. Wishes he had that talent on the mic. He doesn't. He can practice all day. Uh, so maybe he needs some tips from Gronk. Maybe Gronk has a future in the WWE. He's no Paul Heyman guy because Gronk is pretty good on the mic by himself. Uh, finally, Pete, as we wrap it up, one quick thought here. Uh, yesterday, we I did talk about how upset I was that Russell Westbrook uh, was called for a technical foul late in that game against the Pacers a couple nights ago. And because it was his 16th technical, um, basically he would be suspended for the next game. I told you they need to rescind that because that was a brutal technical foul call. And you cannot possibly make that call, especially knowing that that the Thunder in a playoff race, they're trying to get in. Well, they did rescind it, the technical. Westbrook played last night for the Thunder, 36 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. The Thunder beat the Portland Trailblazers 101-90. to and, well, guess what? That doesn't put them back in the top eight in the West, but it keeps them alive. It keeps the Thunder alive. The Thunder really must win out here. They have a chance to do it as long as these officials don't call him for any stupid technical calls, technical fouls. But i got to give the NBA some credit here for, for acknowledging when they're officiating is bad and it was bad on that technical foul call they rescinded it westbrook was able to play the next night play last night and he led his team to a big win nba playoffs the race heats up we'll keep an eye on that and again tomorrow my stanley cup playoff predictions i'm here five days a week dannypicard.com you can also subscribe on itunes stitcher on the TuneIn app any real way you want to listen it's out there for you on your phone, tablet, or computer. And again, DannyPicard.com. Five days a week, 
Jamal, talk to you tomorrow.